Welcome, witches and ghouls. We are pleased to say that we are a part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast network and family. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials, and more. Morbidly Beautiful supports everyone in the horror community, from special effects artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks, and so, so much more. And we are so happy to be part of the spooky team. Please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more. And now, on with the show. To I Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is the time once a month where I put down my bloody nitty needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. Spring has <laughs> sprung, folks. The May Queen is here. We're going to be doing some pole dancing. <laughs> but we're discussing folk horror, cults, and the power of nature. The films up for discussion are The Wicker Man from 1973 an apostle from 2018 so pick your poison and listen on if you dare and on that bed there was a girl and on that hill there was a man and from that man there was a seed and from that seed there was a boy and from that boy there was a man and from that man there was a grave and from that grave there grew a tree All right, Jazz, so this was your month and you chose folk horror. So why did we, why did you choose folk horror, these films and these themes? Well, okay, well, folk horror is one of my favorite subgenres of the horror genre in its entirety. Mm-hmm. I, even for this month, and I was like, ooh, I can't wait to watch a bunch of new folk horror mm-hmm. films. And then I would look at the list of all these different folk horror films. I'm like, I've seen a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, it just seems to be a genre that I seem to be drawn to, and I think we'll talk mm-hmm. about this more as we continue throughout the podcast, but I was excited to talk about folk horror. It makes perfect sense for May, because it often has <laughs> pagan folklore roots in it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, being a witch, I tend to really, you know, be drawn to folklore and, you know, not supernatural entities and stuff like that. So, yeah, and the reasons why I chose The Wicker Man and Apostle was I thought they were really great films to talk kind of like back to back in terms of like folk horror and how it's is today because we all know the 1973 The Wicker Man was one of the first films to be considered part of the unholy trinity of folk horror and a big inspiration and then Apostle which came out in 2018 is like this newer version of folk horror so I thought it'd be a great mm-hmm. way to have an interesting discussion around these films totally I love when we do an old film and a new film see compare and contrast see what's the you know what's the same what's similar and what's different what's been modernized and so I was happy to do do this pairing and, and explore folk horror more. Also, because I knew that Dan Stevens was an apostle and you would not say no yep. to that. <laughs> I would literally say never say no to <laughs> anything Dan Stevens is or does. So, yes. 
So with that, because I was, I am a fan of folk horror, but going into this, I didn't know the ins and outs of folk horror. Mm. So, you know, a lot of times these months I do have like a fair amount of background knowledge or whatever, but this was, I have to say, a, a subgenre that I didn't know that much about. Even though, yes, I would look at like top 10 lists and be like, oh yeah, I've watched a lot of these films, but what is it that makes it folk horror? What makes this subgenre so different from other subgenres and I think that it is truly truly unique so let's talk about what is folk horror yeah, so folk horror, the term. So there's some confusion around where the, when this term existed. And it was really interesting reading Dawn Keatley's article about her whole essay about the history of folk horror. And she talked about how we all originally believe it was coined by Mark Gates, um in 2010 in his documentary about uh, the history of horror. But actually, there's been references to the term folk horror made by Piers Hagrid, who is actually the director of The Blood on Satan's Claw, which is considered the, like, the origin of the folk horror genre. And that actually came from a 1970 article written by Rod Cooper, who was actually reviewing Hagrid's film and called it a study in folk horror. The history of folk horror itself is often very British in nature, which I noticed that right away, mm-hmm. especially these two films that we watched, yeah. uh, Scottish Isles, Britain, <laughs> you know, the UK, and, and often is due to has different times and different cultural interpretations. And what's important about folklore is that folklore is an important part of it. It is rooted in dark tales that often deals with monsters, ghosts, violence, and some sort of sacrifice. And this is all conjured up by a community or is often an inherited tradition in a community. Folklore in folklore is often crafted for very specific means in a community and it can often be made up or people or leaders of the community are aware that it's not really real but like a means of control so an example would be like the village even though it's not folk horror it's a folk thriller i think that the village is folk horror I think so. Yeah, well, I think it would be probably like the second wave of folk horror, but often it is type of subgenre of horror that focuses a lot on landscape, tales, rituals, and it can be also very formulaic in the way it is mm-hmm. broken down. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. two different waves of folk horror. So I think, Kelly, if you want to jump in on... Absolutely. So the core of folk horror, as per experts that are, you know, maybe not us, but uh, <laughs> Witchfinder General from 1968, Blood on Satan's Claw 1971, and The Wicker Man 1973. So yeah, we have to choose a movie that was, like you said, part of the quote, unholy trinity <laughs> of folk horror, because I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't. But I learned, yes, there were two waves of folk horror folks. Oh boy, that's going to be great. Folks <laughs> and folk horror. So the first wave was between 1968 to 1979 with, yep, the Witchfinder General, The Devil Rides Out, The Blood and Satan's Claw, and The Wicker Man. Then we go forward multiple decades to around the start of 2008. And that's where we see our more modern, quote unquote, releases are Eden Lake that I challenged Jessica to watch this month. Wakewood, Ben Wheatley is a big name in modern folk horror with his trilogy, Kill List, Sightseers, and A Field in England. The Woman in Black, Apostle, A Dark Song, those types of films. Mm-hmm. And I love that because, again, I didn't know this. So I, there's a big gap in between. I'm sure there's that odd film, but like heavy in the 60s and 70s. Then boom, we there's this resurgence of folk horror. And we're all super interested in going back to nature. And I love how both of these waves of folk horror really emphasize on various different elements of the genre. So like when the first wave of folk horror, we're really getting this world to be re-enchanted with the belief that there is something darker and more sinister living in our world that there's 
like evil there's like presences and there's powers and but Mm -hmm. it can be very straightforward with that whereas in the Mm -hmm. second wave we see it's more ambiguous and it's only Mm -hmm. is it and is very more suggested like is it is it really something supernatural happening or is it Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. something human that's happening and i think that's really interesting Mm -hmm. what you can really distinct those two different waves yeah, the, the human element, the, you'll find more conflict that's not supernatural related in the more modern stuff, which I definitely mm-hmm. am drawn to more, and I find those films really quite powerful. Um, and so there's this gentleman named Adam Scoville who literally wrote the book yeah. on, on folk horror, which I would love to get. But he and I we're going to blend kind of Don Keatley horror homeroom. We love you women. Thank you so much for being inspiration. <laughs> exactly. But there are like folk horror experts as well. So check out the Spencer's library for all of these wonderful resources. Adam Scoville created something called the folk horror chain, which consists of four aspects, a rural location, isolated groups, skewed moral and belief systems, and then supernatural or violent happenings. So we'll kind of break down each section and you'll find that almost all folk horror films follow these four ideas. Sometimes take a, like, take a chunk out of the chain and you still have a folk horror film, but so many of them follow the, these general guidelines, which again, I found fascinating. And now I'm like watching these yes. movies and like pointing out, I'm like, oh, there's this. Oh, now this is happening. Oh, our violent things happening. Yeah, it's yeah. all erupting in violence. Anyways, we'll get to that last. <laughs> point but so many of our these films end in tragedy and violence looking at you the witch yeah yeah <laughs> so why don't you start us off with our the rural location the, the nature and all of that yeah so landscape is really important with folk horror films and you can you would be remiss to not mm-hmm. notice that right away and like in every folk horror film that I've watched I'm always captivated by the landscape Hagazusa mm-hmm. Vi um, the Wicker Man Apostle mm-hmm. like all these are ritual like they all have these great elements where they focus on the landscape and the landscape is Mm -hmm. obviously huge vast wide there's this Mm -hmm. element of isolation but there's also like always this element of there's something hidden within the earth and Mm -hmm. there's in in the soil and you've got to like I really love how Don explained like going through the nooks and crannies of the woods and like if you're if you're not if you're not careful you can unleash some kind of horror in onto the world and then it just like propels these actions forward absolutely and there's this great quote and I'm sorry, I don't know whose article it was in, but it was, nature can is no longer content to be in the background. Nature has power, agency, and folk horror. It lives, moves, acts, overpowers, and destroys. Multiple exclamation marks, probably by me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was really happy to get into folk horror because it's very refreshing because it's freaking, it's all based in nature. Yes. And so often in horror movies, we're in an abandoned asylum or in a house. It's so often in houses but like we're always inside of something we're not out in the open and I find that that's one of the things that makes it so refreshing to like go into the woods and find spooky things there's like we always think there's like this inherent spookiness um, of nature Mm -hmm. we have this fear of nature and part of this like rural location is there's this like conflict between humans and the environment and you know we like to go into thinking that nature is passive but in these films it absolutely is 
not. I so was you're, say, it's yeah. definitely like is subverting those expectations of these movies because we are in the landscape, we're in nature, stuff's going to happen. Yeah, and to me, whenever I watch a folklore film, nature is its own role. Like the role character. Like, it's yeah. its own character in the film. And yeah. it, you don't, yeah. no one has to tell me that nature is a character film. Like in a film, yeah. like you were saying, like haunted house films and stuff like that, we have to be told explicitly, this is a haunted house. So we know bad things are going to happen. But mm-hmm. In the woods, we're already afraid that bad things are going to happen. We've already made nature a character in our own minds in reality. So seeing it in a film and then watching filmmakers just really emphasize that and take us to these different locations, like, really brings that home. It's almost like saying that folk horror is very, like, anti-modern. Yeah. And anti-modernity, which I really, really, uh, really like because a lot of these uh, films, the people are either leaving the city, most of the time, they're, like, leaving the city for whatever reason to re-engage with nature, to find themselves, to find some kind of peace or solace after a traumatic event. Again, many of the films kind of start with a traumatic event mm-hmm. or something life-changing is that's making these people go to these places. Um, going to nature, they're escaping something or trying to find something. They're isolating themselves from a certain group, you know, like civilization and all of that to find something else. So moving on to our isolated groups or our monstrous tribes. So again, and a lot of these movies we're seeing isolated. These Mm -hmm. people are either isolating themselves or going to a place is exactly like the Wicker Man and and Apostle. We have our main character going into an isolated community. It's a rural setting. These people are of the land, living on the land and with the land and vice versa. They're living by their own rules, their own traditions and everything. So they're kind of like a tribe per se. And something that I loved reading about and I noticed in it again after I watched so many movies this month and what really stuck stuck out to me, which I find fascinating, is so this tribe, so to speak, I'm doing in quotations, but this isolated community, this isolated group is perceived by our outsiders to be monstrous, to be abnormal. And then they have this volatile relationship with what we deem or the protagonist deems as normal. But in the eyes of the community, they're the ones that are normal. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. That is a really interesting aspect of these movies. Like I was thinking about that as you were talking about people who typically go into these folk horror films, they go out to seek isolation and they go out to be isolated, but then they're introducing themselves into these communities who see them as other and they're just like you don't belong here we don't want you here so we need to you know so it's like that us versus them mentality that all of a sudden that kind of grows within that community and kind of festers and so that's why it can all of a sudden become they can become monstrous because at the end of the day they're just trying to protect their shared beliefs and their traditions and their practices so when you have someone from the city coming in Mm -hmm. they're like well you either accept us and accept what we do is uh, is normal or you're other and we need to remove you because you're going to disrupt the balance that we have here. Absolutely. And I would almost even say they force themselves into these communities. Wicker Man, Sergeant, I want to call him Howie. Yes, you're right. Sergeant Yeah, it's Howie. Howie. Okay. (laughs) It's like, that's strange, but I'll go with it. Yeah, so Sergeant Howie literally just like throws himself into this community that he doesn't know anything of. Uh, Thomas, our protagonist and apostle, manipulates the situation to get himself into this community. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. And then it gets tied into going into these isolated rural communities, maybe cults. 
We'll get into that. But there they have either objectively a skewed moral or belief system or just they just do like yeah. either objectively or they just really do. Um, they believe in something that might be different than others. Either it's like a supernatural thing, a deity, a witch, mm-hmm. there's paganism, occultism or some random abuse of Christianity. So that is also a bit terrifying to me. Yeah, that <laughs> that idea, the rich, the ideas of rituals that come up among mm. these communities, right? Mm-hmm. In our first Mm -hmm. wave of folk horror, we saw it more blatantly and we knew it was kind of supernatural. We even like kind of put in, um, equated it to like a satanic belief. Whereas in the second wave, these beliefs are more ambiguous. We don't really know why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. But they suggest yeah. that it could be supernatural nature, but oftentimes, yeah. like we are saying earlier, it's like, is it supernatural or is this just really the beliefs of these individuals? Absolutely. And there is the last portion of the folk horror changes, the manifestation of these beliefs. And then what happens? <laughs> Bad things. Bad violent, things dangerous things. <laughs> Bad, violent, dangerous things. It was always the climax of violent danger at the end. At, at, at all situations. Like, and it's really mm-hmm. interesting how, like, you watch The Wicker Man, and it's not really a horror film until the last 10 minutes of that film. <laughs> You're like, oh, that is terrifying. Whereas with the with Apostle, it's been kind of horror throughout. Uh, yeah. um, as we've gone yeah. through this film. But yeah, so yeah, typically folk horror is often British in nature, but we have seen some American examples coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, some people mm-hmm. like to talk about how Children of the Corn, The Blair Witch Project, and The Last Exorcism are all technically kind of like mm-hmm. American folk horror films, mm-hmm. which I think is very interesting, especially The Last Exorcism, because I can definitely see folk horror elements in that film. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. I When I sat down with that concept, I was like, yep, no, absolutely. Yeah. When you break it down, these movies in these like different kind of chunks, and, and again, this folk horror chain I think is brilliant, to put this all together and piece it all together when you help analyze these films and when you're watching them Mm -hmm. and finding the similarities that absolutely, I was like, oh yeah, the last exercise. And then we talked about the village and then I was thinking about, (laughs) oh my God, there was like, oh, there was another movie. Oh, Black Death. Oh yeah. Which I've never seen on any of these lists, but it would fit into this absolutely isolated community with a maybe witch. I don't know. Yep. And bad, big, violent, you know, sacrifice or ritual happens at the end. So we have a summoning, a sacrifice, or essentially a ritual, something that leads to violence, death, mayhem, and destruction. (laughs) Exactly. Love it. Love it. That's why I love it. (laughs) It's so cool. I've like definitely like been truly converted. I've watched some awesome, awesome movies this month that really just like made it turn for me. So I was really excited. So thanks, Jess. Great idea. (laughs) Also, again, spring has sprung. Yep. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Should we get into our first film? Yeah, I think it's time to start talking about The Wicker Man. Welcome home. I believe in the life eternal, as promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Sergeant Howie, West Highland Police. I am here to investigate the disappearance of Rowan Morrison. If she existed, we would know. You suspect foul play? I suspect murder. Sergeant, if I were you, I would go back to the mainland. You wouldn't want to be around here on lady. Hail the Queen of the Bay! Pagan! 
is Rowan Morrison. Come. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. You simply never understand the true nature of sacrifice. All right. Well, this was a first time watch for the podcast Holy for me. Crap. So <laughs> finally watched The Wicker Man. I've always wanted to, and it just kind of came down to it. So then I did. And that's here we are. Here we are. That is, that is wonderful. That is amazing. Yep. Well, for me, this is um, multiple watch of this film. For me, The Wicker Man, when I first got into my horror journey, I started out in 1970s horror because that's my yeah. favorite decade of mm-hmm. horror. And so The Wicker Man was top of my list. I watched it. I bought it. I've watched it multiple times since. So mm. that's my story with The Wicker Man. Here we are. And I read the book. <laughs> too, so. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, you did. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's that's great. So would you briefly, would you say that it's like a good adaptation of it? Is it at all related? Yes. Oh, no, no. There's like, it's, I'm pretty sure the book may have came after the movie. Oh, so is, like, is it one of those? But yeah. it's okay. like, I like it a lot because you get more into the background of Howie. And so it makes everything... Right. And there's and you learn more about different people through in the in the community. So it makes everything that happens at the end like more like holy shit, this is terrifying. Because yeah. you're just like yeah. you learned about him, you're learning about all the different people, you actually learn more about the history of Summer Isle. Right. So yeah, you're able to give more context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But I think cool. the film does a good job for what it for what it does. Right, for its runtime. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, you've watched it many times. You seem to really enjoy it. So what do you like about the Wicker Man? I like it that it's so folky. <laughs> um i like the cinematography i because i think it's gorgeous like the landscape the the scottish isles everything the music because i like that folk time that folk kind of music um that especially how it's like integrated into a film that's supposed to be very nefarious like you you Mm -hmm. know that has like this undertone in it and i love watching it every time and seeing different things because you see Mm -hmm. so much foreshadowing throughout the film realizing and how it is all leading to howie's demise but Mm -hmm. You, you catch it each time. It's kind of scandalous. You know, a couple yeah. scenes with like the, the sex scenes and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. uh, and the, you know, yeah. so it's just like, it's a, I don't know, like it's a horror film, but it's like a fun film. And mm-hmm. I enjoy it so much. And I just, I love Christopher Lee as Lord Summer Isle. I just think, mm. I'm so used to seeing him in like roles like, you know, like evil, like Lord Saruman and or Dracula, uh, or, Dracula yeah, or something, something like that. like really dark and serious. Yeah, but to yeah. see him as like Lord Summer Isle, who's like, I'm fully aware of what I'm doing, but I'm having fun. Like, yeah. this is, we're pegging beliefs and dressing up. Yeah. And so, like, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. He was kind of campy, he oddly was. enough. It was odd. Yeah, yeah, and I love I love seeing like actors like Christopher Lee and Vincent Price being campy. I just love watching mm-hmm, that because mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. always so serious, serious and like really like done up mm-hmm. and British, yes. I guess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not to stereotype them, but yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. How about yourself? What did you like? So I didn't like The Wicker Man. Oh, okay. The okay. only thing I liked was the super grim ending. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, this movie, like, 
like with any subgenre, I like some movies are going to hit, you know, mm. hit the right spot for me. Some are going to work for me. Some are not. This definitely did not. Like the ending is like epic and very dark. And yeah. like all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh, stuff's happening. I was like, oh, no, this like picked up really quickly. And I was like, oh, no, there's like a lot happening in these last 20 minutes. Yeah. Because it really just like drags out, you know, Howie getting put up into the the Wicker Man and the burning and like just there's a there's a really nice build up to that mm-hmm. in the, like the last 20 minutes. But otherwise, I guess we'll jump into the dislikes. Okay, so the folky score I can appreciate because mm. it's very on the nose talking about corn and the harvest. So like it's like just like it's okay. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's a lot, but I think it generally matches and it's fine. Mm-hmm. But all of the music and the singing, it's almost like a musical. And I was like, what the fuck? Who nobody told me that I was getting into this because that is not. It was pretty much intolerable for me to watch a lot of the movie. Reminder, everyone, Kelly doesn't like mus- musicals. <laughs> I do not, generally speaking. You know, I thought it was a bit random of a movie, peculiar. In, in the end, I thought the film was very fine. Mm. I would never watch it again. Maybe just the ending. I can probably find that on YouTube. Yes, you definitely can. But holy crap, did Midsommar rip off a lot of imagery and ideas from this movie? Blatantly so, blatantly so. Mm. Hello, Maypole. And just like so much of it. Like if there was more music in Midsommar instead of like hours of silence, um, it would be like it's spiritual, modernized spiritual twin. I'm just uh, like, what okay. the fuck? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> would ne- watch neither one of those movies again but wow I was just very shocked by how much of The Wicker Man is in well The Wicker Man was one of the originals and, Ms- and Midsommar is like you know a new folk horror film so I guess homage to the original but maybe there's homage and then there's ripping the fuck off Ari Aster yeah. <laughs> I vote for the fact that you do not have an original. Anyways, this is not the Ariaster. Um, is there anything you dislike about The Wicker Man? No. There's, I, I enjoy this film. I don't have anything I dislike about it. Excellent. So this portion of the episode, we're going to focus our thoughts and feelings on communes, cults, our secluded, isolated communities, because we decided to, there's a lot of things we can talk about when it comes to folk horror, but we chose cults those isolated communities and then nature the agency of nature which Mm. we'll get into when we talk about apostle yes but talking about cults and communes and how does an innocent place like a commune which is a positive place turn into a dangerous destructive cult where are the boundaries what are the differences what does this all mean and why are we here and why is this relevant (laughs) so a commune folks if we did not know is essentially a group of people living together who hold property in common and live according to a set of principles which are usually arrived at or endorsed by the group as a whole they often have shared living spaces interests or like i said values and beliefs possessions, resources in common. They might share common work, income, and assets. Yeah, and so the idea of kind of like communes kind of came about in like around the 1840s, and this is kind of like considered like the heyday of American utopian communes, where more than 80 communes were founded, including the Brook Farm community, Fruitlands, and Onyada community. And these communes, these utopian communities, they came as a reaction of the Industrial Revolution. These groups were focused on creating an ideal and economic society with moral values through communal living. So people sharing labor to build an egalitarian social structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These groups were not considered cults, while but while they did exhibit some typical behaviors of control, 
people through rules and regulations did not include any thought emotional control which is where we'll get into about cults uh, later mm-hmm. many of these groups did disband because of lack of leadership which is technically the key component to a cult (laughs) (laughs) we're all running amok here there's nobody to lead us we're like oh but the leader is usually the problem yeah exactly exactly so (laughs) communes they exist in the 1840s they still exist now but they are they are intentional communities of people sharing living spaces their interests Mm -hmm. their values their beliefs property possessions resources sometimes work they share sometimes they share income and sometimes they share assets but the most core principles of a commune is communal living and consensus making mm-hmm. and non-hierarchical structures in an ecological living situation. And you can have a variety of different types of communes or communities. Alternative family communities, there's probably like vegan communes out there, polyamorous communes out there, <laughs> cooperative communities, political communities, religious communities, or spiritual communities. And a lot of communes are generally inspired by religious principles or spirituality or like wellness and health and that's kind of what brings everybody together to share this common goal of living our lives in kind of a counterculture way. So how does that devolve into a cult? Which is kind of a loaded word. It's kind of a loaded theme. Yeah. But a cult is a social group that is defined by its unusual keyword there, folks, religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs, or by its common interest in a particular personality, object, or goal. It's a group or movement held together by a shared commitment to an ideology or our charismatic main leader, usually almost exclusively a man. And so often these belief systems are skewed belief systems mm-hmm. claim to have answers to all of life's questions offering a special solution to be gained only by following the rules yeah it's like this idea of absolutism so people yes. join them because they believe that a cult is giving us something solid or absolute answers to questions like good and evil and religion the meaning of life politics you know and these charismatic leaders they speak to us and they say oh i'm speaking to us in the in the they speak to people um by (laughs) offering simple everyday answers to these big complicated ideas and they try to make all this accessible so that attracts people why because we are attracted to this illusion of comfort this unattainable promise that is offered nowhere else we've looked through it everywhere but these this call This leader can offer us financial security, total health, peace of mind, eternal life, everything a human desires. Absolutely. And people from all walks of life can be drawn to a cult. They don't often don't know they're in a cult or what's going on. But like Jess was saying, it just seems so wonderful. Like it's too good to be true, really. So the main kind of types of people, let's say, that are drawn to these because there are a certain kind of categorization of folks that are a little bit more, let's say, vulnerable to these (laughs) the sales pitches. I love in the article that we read these cult sales pitches. So a high level of stress or dissatisfaction in your life, yourself, your relationships, whatever. Mm -hmm. Lack of self-confidence. If you have low self-esteem, you'll be more vulnerable to, you know, charismatic or very confident people and places and things. Gullibility, desire to belong to to a group. That naive idealism. (laughs) 
<laughs> fulfillment that, you know, maybe this cult, this group, this spiritual movement, this whatever is going to bring you something to your life that you are missing. Mm-hmm. Cultural disillusionment. I think we can relate to that one at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and spirituality. You're frustrated with what's going on. Some shit's not working. You're just not feeling it. You're not Mm -hmm. feeling what life is giving to you right now. And you're frustrated and you're soul searching. And there's the cult. And then some, yeah, someone comes along and says, hey, look, I can give you answers. All you need to do is pay me this much money to do this thing. And this will be fine. And oh, wait, there's still you're still having issues. That's all on you. That's your, you're an issue, not us. But most Mm -hmm. importantly, so yeah, they go for these types of people, especially people with low self-esteem, because it is easier to break them down and to build them back up into this supportive Mm -hmm. cult environment. And they're very particular on who they recruit. They don't just recruit Mm -hmm. anyone. They actually avoid people who do have handicaps or mental illnesses because they find that they're a little more of a a liability to the the structure of the the cult because often these individuals who have these serious mental health conditions or physical conditions often have to see a doctor or they have to see a therapist outside of the cult. And when you're in a cult environment, you can't have any dissenting voices because they work against the cult's control over that mindset so when you have people on the outside still helping you with your mental health and your physical health and that's contradicting the beliefs and the ideas of the cult it's problematic and so often they have to like they don't want those people involved and that's why they go for the people who are low self-esteem because they're like oh well you don't really need a therapist we'll just help you out we'll, we'll do reiki on you and stuff like that and you'll be fine <laughs> oh, god uh. Uh. <laughs> And one aspect definitely about this that is kind of touched on it earlier, and that's going to be huge when we talk about the Wicker Man and Apostle and Folk Horror in general, is they become so powerful at promoting the us versus them mentality. They are able to convince their followers that they are the superior people, the superior community, their beliefs, everything that they are doing, their way of life is absolutely superior. So this us versus them mentality ultimately will lead to cult members isolating themselves socially from their friends, their family, their job, their career, everything that they held so near and dear prior because they have been convinced that that is all bad. Those are not good people. Mm -hmm. Those relationships are not great. This is the comp, this commune, quote unquote, is this cult, this new movement, this new community is way better to replace all of your old life with all of these new ones, these new relationships, this new place. And we see this absolutely in our two movies and in folk horror. They either live very rurally in like a very small town Mm -hmm. or in these two movies, literal on an island, truly isolated away. And they think their lives are better than everybody else's. Yeah, and often these leaders of these uh, groups are masters of mind control. They are charismatic and they are so able to convince people about what they're selling or what they're offering to them to make their lives better. They're able to gain control. And so typically what happens with a lot of early initiates into a cult is this idea of love bombing. So Mm, love bombing mm -hmm. is when you constantly are letting people know that they're loved, they're special, that they're a support system, you know, like they they, they just constantly bomb you with love. But then over time, once you've become a part of the cult, the the leader will start using emotional control these members will start getting involved in like these exercises of public humiliation as a as a guise of deconstructing the ego which i swear to god when i hear someone say anything like that i get very upset because it's essentially (laughs) just sitting in front of the members and everyone just tells they all have to admit their failures and shortcomings which then leads to self-incrimination evidence 
to their leader to use their individual fears and mistakes against them to keep them within the community. And so it's this brainwashing and it's crazy, like, you know, this paranoia, like Kelly was saying, like, you know, they isolate you from your friends, your families, from other places because they make it look like everyone is out against to get you. And this is how the only way to protect yourself. Yuck. Mm -hmm. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah. So coming into our films, I see the Wicker Man and definitely tell me you disagree, agree or whatnot, Jess. But I see the Wicker Man as deeply rooted, (laughs) pun intended, (laughs) in religion and fear, whereas I find Apostle to be more rooted into the return to nature, the dominion of humans over nature, though I think they're intertwined. Of course, it's folk horror, but like Apostle is just, it's so spoke to me. And of course, we'll talk about it, but we're into the Wicker Man, but it's like that one to me just felt very just like spooky, weird. Maybe it was also just how it was presented to me in this like bright like everything is like almost always during the daytime yes, when things are supposed to sunny, be sunny horror that's what you sun, get sunlit horror you know it's supposed to be so safe and calming but that's when it's even spookier to me to mm-hmm. be amongst these people that are just singing all the time and are so deeply entrenched in their beliefs that they think they are right. And that's what kind of spooks me about The Wicker Man. Which is totally fair. I think it's interesting because I look back and forth at The Wicker Man as seeing it has the elements of a commune because it is a group of people who have decided Mm -hmm. to grow fruits and vegetables and share their common resources and stuff like that among an isolated community. But it then has that element of a cult because then you have a charismatic leader like Lord Summer Isle who Mm -hmm. is fully 100% aware that everything his, his grandfather made up is made it up and he's using it to control the people of Summer Isle to grow these fruits and to have this money. So he knows that he's using these pagan beliefs to control the people of Summer Isle to do what they need to do to make things happen. Mm. Right? So it's Interesting. Like, yeah. I saw that differently. Okay. I saw the science as being real because they talk about oh, for how sure. this... The science is totally real, 100%. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So they, so they use that, and I thought that was really interesting. So we bring in, if folks, you have, if you haven't seen The Wicker Man, but I was really surprised by this whole idea that this island's actually, they're known for their apples. It's a very... The, the soil is very fertile and rich in nutrients, and then you've got the, the breeze and the wind coming off the nutrient-rich ocean Mm. so you get this wonderful place where you can grow like the most magnificent fruits and vegetables and the founder lord summer isles grandfather you know being able to genetically kind of engineer this really wonderful fruit oh because that island used to be full of like monks and christians and all of that they're like they were starving they were it was yeah not a good time for them on the island at the time yeah yes exactly so then to get people to come over yes that's where we bring in the paganism they're bringing, mm. like like Lord Samuel says, he's like, I'm bringing back the old gods and the people stayed because it's kind of just like a free for all. I feel like they tried to make it this more like hedonistic kind of lifestyle, which perhaps isn't necessarily what paganism is. I don't know the ins and outs of paganism, but, you know, it seems like this super hedonistic do whatever you want. But also... Mm-hmm. We believe in God wholeheartedly, or at least like a God's. Uh, what they believe, was it? Yeah, the they believe in God the old of the gods. orchard. Yeah, yeah. God of the sea, God of the orchards. God of there earth, we go. Like yes, the folklore, yeah. the elder gods. They believe. Yes. In, yeah. yeah, exactly. But you have yes, that charismatic leader 
can't be yep. charismatic leader. You can't come onto the island unless you get written permission from him. Everything goes through him, the patriarch, the patriarchy of this entire place with all these beautiful young women trying to seduce everyone. Yeah. Also, side note. <laughs> but I found it really interesting. There was a lot of like random, weird imagery that I don't get, like the woman who's breastfeeding, holding an egg in the old rundown Christian cemetery. Maybe if I thought about it more, there's more to that scene that I can think of, but... It's supposed to be a symbol of fertility, right? And so she's okay. breastfeeding the baby is also, you know, a symbol of fertility. They, they even said the land is technically no longer holy land because it's not consecrated. They're just like, well, no, right. just because the church is on that doesn't make it holy land. It was already holy because this is, this is the earth, earth land. This is just a building to us. Right. Yes. Ooh, it was already holy. <laughs> yeah, like the earth in itself is all holy. Like they, they mess around with, with Howie the entire time. Like the whole time yes. they're being like, oh, yeah. Rowan? Rowan was outside running around. Oh, Rowan? Yeah, we did. She's dead. She's buried. And then they open up and it's like a rabbit. And they're like, yeah, that's Rowan. We just told you. She's no longer yeah. a body anymore. She's now a spirit into an animal. And he's just like, Howie's just like, I'm going to lose my shit soon. Because yeah, they troll him and fuck with him the whole time. So initially I was like, wow, he has zero tolerance for these terrible pagans, these heathen quote unquote. But then as I noticed that they're, they're fucking with him this whole time, I could understand his impatience with them because he's tr- he is also there to do a job trying to find a young girl that he thinks is missing and he can't find any actual answers. They just toy with him as, you know, we know the reasoning why the end of all of this, why they brought him there. But I also find it really interesting because you open the film with that super Christian, devout kind of service, this Christian service. And that's yeah. when we're introduced to Sergeant Howie. And as we go on, yes, I was like, I besides them fucking with him the whole time, which is really annoying, I was also annoyed. <laughs> um, just how he is so just like staunch in his beliefs. And he's so just like, you're heathens, you're raving mad. Yep. And his delicate sensibilities were very much um, challenged by seeing people fucking in, out in the park. He's also a virgin. He doesn't yep. believe in sex before a marriage. And so, you know, having that uh, Willow, like, I guess, seducing him that one night and banging on the walls. And it's just like throwing him for a loop. And I thought that was really interesting, just how like just staunch everybody else is. But he, again, is that like stereotypical hard ass Christian mm-hmm. that can't have a fucking good time. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because they go into more details about that in the book, but they, they do really well in the movie with showing his his how staunch he is and his beliefs, but like and how at times it even challenges him because we know there's a moment where like he's in his room he's like oh my god like there's a naked woman who literally wants me over there and my my urges want to go but my my christian morals are telling me no stay and i think it's really interesting because i love how when this film was received by a lot of public it was really popular among i guess you would say in quotes the hippie community (laughs) because it was so (laughs) it was so like you know screw you christianity how dare you come into someone else's island and push yourself around and into these people's homes and they're just doing their thing like they're whatever oh you've got a letter that someone's child is missing like someone's fooling you for a prank you need to leave type thing but he's so like staunch in his beliefs he's like no I am part of a Christian nation and I am part of the law and all this is wrong so I am barreling in and and it kind of 
reminds people of what it was like. Uh, Roman soldiers, Roman Christian soldiers started barreling into, you know, the Gaelic lands of England and stuff like that. You know, those pagan communities who were just doing their own thing, minding their own business. And all of a sudden, these Roman soldiers are coming in, wiping out their communities and saying, now you need to follow this guy, this god, Mm -hmm. and no longer any more of your old gods. And so it's like how he kind of represents that in a way of like how these pagan communities like, you know, we're going to trick you. We're going to trick you into this and we're going to use your purity, you know, that virginal purity that usually is reserved for a woman. We're going to use it of a man and, Mm -hmm. you know, have Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. So I like that aspect of the film. Oh, absolutely. And speaking to, I guess, the the gender politics of it a little bit. So the Maypole and we learn that the Maypole is a phallic symbol of a generating force in nature. I'm using quotations, folks. And so we, even though paganism has a variety of, in reality, variety of different gods and goddesses, there is a general kind of generalized equality. This is a very patriarchal society. You know, it's ruled by a man. He does everything. Yes, the yeah, the pole is this symbol of force of nature. And then we'll see an apostle that that gets skewed. And actually, there is Mother Nature. And I just found that di- like really interesting kind of compare and contrast that idea of that the male like or the masculine kind of identity is the one that is the generating force here. But it's when it comes down to nature is in a lot of readings inherently feminine. For sure. And it's interesting that you see that reading with the Wicker Man being so inherently patriarchal because I see Lord Summer Isle as, you know, he's very campy, but he's very feminine in his dress, Mm. in the way he acts with uh, Sergeant Howie. He's very respectful to his one companion, uh, the woman who's Mm -hmm. the teacher. And he does talk about like, yeah, women are important in our in our in our organization, in our community, because they are the bringers of life and their fertility is like the fertility of our lands and so there is a definite like yeah there's definitely not it's like not like a hundred percent perfect in that because yeah it's still a man who's still running the community and you know creating all these secrets but it's you know i feel like there's still a very strong feminine element but but then once again it goes it's going to that idea of masculinity controlling the feminine energy and both in the wicker man and what we talk about in apostle Mm -hmm. as well but at least there's a little bit more of a trying to maintain some kind of balance there and like coming back to again our folk horror chain we got it all here folks (laughs) (laughs) we have our isolated our rural location our like i what i love about these movies it's like yes the sprawling landscape Mm. our soaring wonderful scores generally speaking that just complement these films so well probably not in my opinion the wicker man it's it's very on the nose but it's kitschy and like again that's either gonna work for you or not work for you (laughs) <laughs> got our sort of rural location. We've got our isolated community, our quote pagans of of Summer Isle, our skewed either skewed in quotations, moral and belief system. Mm-hmm. Well, human sacrifice is a bit frowned upon, yes. But everything <laughs> else you're doing is fine. <laughs> I don't think the pagans actually did human sacrifice. Probably animals, but not humans. So that is a little skewed. And then as we're going through the film, it erupts in absolute like devastation Mm -hmm. and murder yeah and 
It's intense. It For me, it almost makes up for the whole film, but it doesn't. But we have everything in this folk horror chain that we talked about. And this is, you know, again, this is what makes us folk horror folks. Mm-hmm. So bringing it back to like talking about uh, the paganism aspect of it. So Lord Summer Isle was talking about, he said, we wanted to rouse the people from their apathy and give back their old gods. And by and worshiping them will bring back the glory of the island. So interesting ideas. I love that concept. And again, this comes back to why do we join these in the first place? You know, it's the 70s, like shit's, you know, we've got all of our technology and things are rapidly happening in our world. And sometimes we'll yearn for something a little bit more subtle and simple in these more rural communities or just like very off the land communities. Cause they still have like houses and yeah, running yeah. water and stuff like that. But they kind of brought back that fun style of paganism, the, the love, the dancing rituals, the reverence for nature, but also there's a fear of it because they, they rely on nature, but they also appease it when necessary, which is what they say in the movie. So it does, these people do have this fear of it. And I love at the very end, and this is where like the movie just really spoke to me. So as they're trying to bring Howie up into the Wicker Man, he tries to use logic and reason about the failure of the crops, but these people won't hear it. Mm-hmm. Lord Summerall claims that the crops, quote, won't fail because they're going to be doing this animal and human sacrifice, which is bananas from a logic and reason point of view, which yeah. I love that at least Howie's coming from this logic and reason point of view, even though he is a Christian. Those are his spiritual or religious beliefs, but he's like, nope, that is dumb. You're going to kill me and this is not going to change a thing. And that was really just like a super intense moment. So I was like, yes, you were so right. This is so fucked up. And that's where we get this like ending, this violent happening, the the sacrifice and the ritual in this movie. Ugh. Well, yeah, because it's really interesting too that that's coming from Howie's mouth where he's like, you know, what you guys doing is not logical. I'm like, you are literally part of a religion that believes a lot of things aren't yes. are like, believe a lot of things that were like that doesn't make any sense yeah absolutely (laughs) why you're making fun of these pagans these heathens for their beliefs and stuff like that because that's what they know that's what they've kind of grown up with they've grown up with well yeah they've grown up they've grown up with it this has been happening since the 1800s on 1868 so this has been happening since 1868 these beliefs and this bringing back the old gods Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so it's kind of what they know and what they've grown up with so it's no different from what you're being taught in sunday school these ideas but yes yeah human sacrifice is not it's not great (laughs) but then technically a human was sacrificed for all of our sins so so jumping over briefly over to apostle to talk about that motherfucking cult oh yes So what I found really, really interesting about this movie is that so the movie is set in 1905, filmed in the UK, super British. So the Industrial Revolution began in Britain in the 18th century. And this period of time was used to describe their economic development that happened between 1760 to 1840. And from there, it spread throughout Europe and the world. Like we talked about earlier, we mentioned the fact that during a, a lot of this like folk horror, people wanting to escape from industrialization, modernity, Maybe people want to escape now and go and join those more modern communes, positive safe places, yeah. not destructive cults. Yeah. Because we want to get away from all this technology and this hustle and bustle and like this kill yourself for your career and all the money and this and that. So they want to live a more, quote, peaceful, um, simpler life and time. And like, I get that. 
that. Mm-hmm. And so you see an apostle, that's what these people did. They're just like, we're getting out of here. We've stumbled across this place and we'll get into the nature aspect of it and try not to get too much into this. But there's this really great quote, but by the the leader who is the self-proclaimed prophet who says that he was chosen by her, the goddess of the land. But he says that they were, we came here because we wanted to be free men. We wanted no taxes, no war, you know, wanted to live free of suffering and greed and then be rich and like rich off the land and be that kind of people. And it's like, I get that. Like I could see why people would want to go away from the industrialization and go back to this more like understandable place and time. Well, a lot of those people who were coming over were people who were destitute and they were going through, especially in England at the time, like, you know, the overcrowding in the cities and stuff like yeah. that. People had no option but to find something somewhere else because they can't, they're not making yeah. the cities. Like, I remember the one question they asked the woman is like, what was your crime? And she was like, vagrancy. Okay. Like you won't, you'll, you'll want for nothing here. So like, you know, each yeah. one of those individuals would have had some kind of past, like the three men, Frank, Malcolm and Quinn, who start this community were actually all uh, criminals who right. got off a boat and who got right, you know, landed on this island, were saved by this island, and then all of a sudden they started creating, like you said, this community of equalism and compassion among them, a utopian society that is not, you know, under the oath of the King of England, right, who is going to see them all murdered, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was a time of, like, poverty, destitution, and disease, and crime, and just terrible Yeah. Terrible. There's some things to say that maybe our industrialization of our planet in many ways (laughs) has not been helpful for anyone. But uh, (laughs) I found something really interesting because there's a word exodus that came up a a few times Mm. when you're watching the movie, just that kind of popped up a few times. And so I wanted to look it up. So exodus was the liberation of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt in the 13th century BCE Mm -hmm. under the leadership of Moses. Not necessarily exactly relevant, but that concept of freeing ourselves from our, quote, slavery to our modernization of our world and everything. And I kind of liked how they threw that in a little bit to kind of just drive it home that this was, I think this place started as a commune. And this started as like a peaceful community with good intentions. But unfortunately, humans with good intentions, it almost always turns to violence, especially when men are in charge, because that is what this community is. It was founded by those three men. And there's even at one point, one of the founders is like, we, I have to go. This community is broken. This is not what we started here. And so I feel like they had good intentions, but like their patriarchal society here in our reality, but here in uh, Arisden, the community and in Summer Isle. So everybody is both like very devout, they're righteous and everything turns dark. These quote blasphemers and those that are a part of these religions, they turn bad. And I feel like we start these communities and these communes in like in our real real life, our reality start off with, again, these good intentions, but we can't hide from the nature of darkness in human beings. In both factions, these believers in the end are ruled by fear. If we don't appease the goddess, bad things are going to happen to us. Our crops are going to fail and we are going to starve people. So we have to appease her. And like in 
the wicker man we have we have to appease the 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 god of the ocean and the sun and uh sorry i keep messing those ones up well the goddess of the orchards and and god of the sun god of the sea <laughs> god of the sun like they're all there the go. old gods yeah. yeah yeah so that's where like i did just really hit me that this was yes a cult but i feel like it really maybe both places I think this in in Apostle, it started with much more good intentions, though there is an undercurrent of badness, which we'll talk about. But there is already some manipulation happening over in Summer Isle. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely in in Apostle, I think maybe yeah, maybe the attempt by these three men, especially Malcolm, the individual of Malcolm, maybe yes, his first attempt was to create a community that was separate from the religion that oppresses them, right? Because they're yeah. essentially too like one of the reasons why the cult starts to, the commune or this the community of Erzurum starts to go really close in and become very isolated mm-hmm. as well is because the king is sending over spies to get rid of this group because right. they don't yes. want, yep. especially the history of England, any small group that proposes any kind of revolutionary idea or a different yep. way of thinking that is against um, king, queen, their monarch, the religion, it is right. a threat yep. because wars have been fought over one person deciding, I don't like what you're doing, I'm doing my thing over yep. here and all these people are going to follow me. Oh, good, look, we have an army. We're going to take you down now. Okay, cool. You know, like, just as a group, they're like, okay, we want this new life. We want this new, you know, pagan, you know, belief in the sense that we're worshiping this goddess that she's giving us this land. But now we're all of a sudden killing people because we're getting spies sent in here who want to disband our group. And then, of course, because... Exactly, yep. right? And then, of course, because they can't have... Because, you know, what what they're doing to the land cannot be sustained much longer. They have to be like, go back to the old ways of thinking and being like, okay, yeah. we need to kidnap people and ransom them so that we can keep this community afloat. Exactly. Like, they try so hard. And again, I feel like, yes, good intentions just go horribly awry. Again, as always, we're humans inherently deeply, deeply flawed and troubled. And the purification scene. Oh, like, my goodness. That is like dark yeah that is some dark dark shit and i mean there's a lot wrapped up in that scene but like obviously they've done that multiple times before and so we can't have spies we can't have anybody ruining our place that is so peaceful and so superior and perfect mm-hmm. we can't have that so we have to punish those that see to offend us and to tear this place apart yeah. and then again we're still ruled by fear because if you oppose them if you question this purification quote unquote yeah it's a it's once again it's keeping the dissenting voices out of the group and keeping them under control so what they do is that they have rules and regulations i remember picking up right away when they're picking up people from the mainland anything from the mainland is strictly forbidden you're in isolation right away you cannot have anything that can remind you of your old life starting of my control right if they believe anyone is a threat that person is marked with an X or whatever. Like, they keep an eye yeah. on They have a military group. A group of people, like a little group of people who, like, will take care of anyone who is being a problem within the community. They have a, they have, um, they have to be at the prayers. They have to know, they have to have to read the book the of the prophet, Malcolm, when they are on upon arrival. There is also um, the rules. The don't be in after hours, right? Like, they, they, they have mm-hmm. all the elements of they're trying to create a structured society, but then it, it becomes more controlled. Controlled because you, especially the 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 character of Quinn, becomes very militant in how he wants to keep that that group together, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, 
Yeah, he takes it to like the nth degree. I feel like yeah. there you have the three guys. You have the, the guy that's trying to leave. Frank, yeah. He's like, nope, yeah, like this community is broken. This is not what I signed up for. This is, let's, no, I'm out. Yeah. And then the middle guy, who's our prophet, who's like trying to balance everything out and maybe trying to be a good guy, but he's like, mm, I kind of let everything keep sliding yeah. and like I still allow bad shit to happen. And then and you've got Quinn. the third guy. I'm just like, well, you got my daughter pregnant, so well, purification. I'm gonna, I'm <laughs> gonna kill you now. Oh wait, I have power. I'm gonna make these women my slaves and use their children to appease the goddess. Awesome. Yep. Oh my god, this is bad. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's when, like, obviously around that time, shit is like really hitting the fan and going ballistic, and chaos is reigning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, speaking of which, perfect segue. Thomas, your sister, she's gone. These people, they're blasphemers, a cult, a disease. Bring her home. Name? Thomas Richardson. I dream of a world in which each waking day we rise equal. This island. It's our paradise. We have an intruder on our land. We have to find him. Your eyes. They've seen things. Who are you? He shall be cleansed! According to the edict of this land. The promise of the divine is but an illusion. God is pain. God is suffering. Beware false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Let us begin. around Apostle Jess. Honestly, I saw it a couple, I saw it when it came out on Netflix and I was like, right. ooh, I like folk horror Looks type like folk stuff. Horror. <laughs> I'm into this. Oh, I know Dan Stevens. This is before I knew Dan Stevens and the guest. I knew him as uh, Crawley Downton in Downton Abbey. I knew him in Downton Abbey. So I was like, ooh, <laughs> let's see him be like a gruff uh, guy. So yeah, that's when I saw Apostle for the first time. Right. Just random. <laughs> that's pretty much the same thing for me. And I was like, well, it just looks like grim, dark, and Dan Stevens is in it. I'm going to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> it was very straightforward. I was like, yes, this is happening. And so this is my second time watching it. Yeah, same here. <laughs> so what did you, what do you like about Apostle? 
Well, interesting enough, I actually like this film on the second watch than I did on the first watch. Because mm-hmm. I remember on the first watch, I, I think I went, when I got to the end of it, I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> I want mm-hmm. more. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. nothing was really explained. All kinds of stuff happened. But I feel like that was very early on in my horror journey. And then now that right. I've watched so much folk horror, I know more of what I do. Watching this film a second time, I had such more of an appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this, mm-hmm. they're doing this really well right now and I'm really I'm actually engaged in the story like to me the two hours and something 31 minutes did not oh was it 31 minutes I don't know it was two hour movie yes it didn't feel as long of a trudge as the first time when I first right. watched it so I remember the okay. first time I watched it I was just like wow is this getting anywhere and I was like oh my god I'm only like an hour and a half in and not really much has happened but now that I'm right. watching it I'm just like oh no we're building up all the stuff and I had to keep an eye out for all the different clues and hints and so yeah, I yeah. love the the imagery in this film I love the characters who come out in this film they're really they're all really interesting in the sense of how they interact with one another I love Dan Stevens uh, his his struggle with faith especially mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they show that scene uh, Tom's oh. scene of why he has such oh a uh, fail yep. yeah like that was just like ooh yeah like yeah so I actually now like this film more than I did before I kind of echo that in the sense of the first time I watched it I was like yeah this is good this is good I'm into this this is grim yeah sure and then watching it with a newfound appreciation and understanding of mm-hmm. what folk horror is if this movie was 20 minutes shorter because <laughs> holy fuck folks I would absolutely love it but because it's too long I just really 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 enjoy it I really really like it Dan Stevens obviously that's a given but I, I do think he's a wonderful actor wonderful wonderful actor he has quite the range I love the premise the grim dark atmospheric it's a very moody film yeah. moody is like a perfect adjective for this film and I love that about it again yes the imagery a lot of the scenes like I, I know we talked about the purification scene but yes that scene with Thomas when it shows us why his faith is so well non-existent now or it was shaken because again folks if you haven't seen it it's just really upsetting but and violent and interesting scene where he talks about um he was a missionary so he had a lot whole lot of he had a lot of faith and he was a missionary to Peking which is what they called it which is now Beijing China to show them his god and religion of love will and compassion and they didn't take too kindly to that Mm. as you would and they kill and torture them and he is branded with a cross and there is this beautiful intense epic scene of that burning cross in the field and then they fucking brand him with it it is powerful it is an awesome awesome scene i feel like there's many intense wonderful images and scenes like that in this movie well especially because in that scene too you said like the cross he's also asking for god to help him to save him and I feel yep. like that is such I always find those scenes so hard to watch sometimes when people are just like God please save me please get me out of this and they're like expecting some kind of miracle like all of a sudden like someone's gonna change their mind be like no don't do it or you know yeah. right and you're just like mm, that's not how humans work no, <laughs> maybe maybe no. there are some good humans out there that'll stop something like that happening but not when you're praying to God is it going to happen it would be based on what that human wants to do or not do yeah yeah so I find it interesting that he has that broken faith and that he's put into this society or he's in this group of society that has broken away from that faith as well and is worshipping an earthly deity a goddess that he actually ends up seeing and how that kind of changes him a bit and is especially in his dying moments where he's like oh okay there are there are things out there that do exist 
um, yes. and that are actually more powerful in their own way. That might be more tangible than tangible than yes than the old that old religion I was mm-hmm. a part of this old faith that I had. Absolutely, that's a good point. Anything you disliked about it? I, I could see why it's important. I think I, I can understand where like that twenty minutes you can take out is like the love story between uh, the t- Jeff, uh, the boy, and the young girl, uh, Quinn's mm-hmm. daughter. But like I could see how it's important because it's that turning point for Quinn yeah. kind of going like snapping yeah. and just going the route that he goes. So I could see why it's important, especially now that see. I remember in the first time watching, be like, I don't like this. You don't need any of this. Just just focus on the story of trying to find the sister. But then yeah. when we watch the birthing scene of the sheep and it's deformed. Mm-hmm. And then Quinn, he is so fervent in his belief for the goddess that he believes that his daughter, because the child was conceived on an island that everything is being birthed deformed, he's mm-hmm. like, this is what's going to happen. Your child is going to be deformed because we have, haven't, where the goddess isn't, yeah. the goddess isn't happy. We're not in a good situation right now. Just like that lamb that was born deformed, that child's going to be deformed. Yeah. Intense. Yeah. This movie, guys, this movie, folks, you haven't watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So getting into the second aspect, the second part of all of this, this folk horror, is nature. So I think like the biggest part of folk horror is nature, our landscape. Nature is a powerful force and it perhaps, folks, has agency. So one of the most important things that I I think anyways is the, quote, awful agency of the land, quote, coming from research we have done. Not only it's awful because the land becomes obviously implicated in characters' deaths and that plays a role in killing people either directly, indirectly, but it's often severely it, we'll, we'll say dispossessed, but agency is often removed from nature. So we often in these films are just us and our general day-to-day lives here in 2021 in reality, North America. We often forget that nature is a force. Mm-hmm. We do have fear. We have anxieties. We dread the wild, untamed nature. We're so stuck in our cities, in our, quote, civilization. We fear we will become uncivilized or violent, evil, and inhuman the more time we spend in nature or what nature will do to us. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> was interesting because the horror, folk horror technically falls, especially these two films, into the idea of the British landscape. And I love because it's so vast, the British landscape mm-hmm. in itself, that it really is easy to create that isolation. But the, the scenery is just beautiful. But eerie things can happen and bad things can happen in beautiful scenery. And I love that about horror, uh, folk horror films is that, yeah. oh, my God, it's so gorgeous. Everything. Oh, you're being viciously murdered over there. That's that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes to, like you said, to that intimate fear that we have about nature, you know, because it's so unknowable and it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. We can't predict things. And I was even just thinking now, like, I actually am amazed, astounded, but terrified of tornadoes because mm-hmm. they are in a force of nature that cannot be controlled, cannot be predicted. And I think is absolutely beautiful, majestic, but terrifying. And talking about this and doing this research into this agency of nature and looking at its power, I was like, oh yeah, it does unsettle me. This yeah. aspect of nature that we just, there's certain things that we cannot control and we cannot understand. And it's like literally when someone says you're a force of nature, that's kind of a compliment just to say. Yes. But also <laughs> it is relying back to this tension that we have with nature, that the human relationship that we have with nature, because we are looking to civilize it 
but it can never be civilized. It can never be shaped the way we want to shape it. Like we constantly try and shape nature or land to our way, to our means, but eventually something comes along like a flood or an earthquake or a hailstorm and it just destroys that stuff. And we're dependent on it. Like we are literally dependent on the land to provide Mm -hmm. us with food, sustenance, comfort, Mm -hmm. warmth, security. And when we we don't have that, that's that's terrifying. Absolutely, because we have become, we have come, quote, so far in civilization as humans, we just have no idea. We can't fathom actually living off the land and being of the land. We have taken nature and turned it, we've othered it, essentially. Mm, We've taken all agency away from it. We think we control, we have dominion, because we we talked about dominion in our, I think, the the last uh, episode, yeah. Try to claim dominion over the landscape, our nature, the animals, the plants, the rocks, the earth, the ground, the air, water. And I think a portion of that comes down to well, we can't be too much with nature because that'll make us inhuman. We have this anxiety about the wild, but it's because it's so it's so wild, if that makes any sense. So we fear our own capacity for brutality and evil. And there's so much that we see in folk horror that we see that humans going to these lengths of brutality and evil deeds, dangerous, destructive means, whether it's like super rural or again, in these little towns, I watched this movie called Caliber and it's not supernatural in any way. It's all based on human fear and anxieties. And, and it's a tiny town, but they, I mean, again, still running water, like they, they live uh, still relatively civilized, but we fear that internally we, we just, we cannot become uncivilized. And the more we spend time with nature and dwelling dwelling in nature and what could become of us or perhaps not accepting again the darkness naturally within human beings without Mm. embracing that we're just suppressing it so we feel like we we have absolute control over ourselves and if we become out of control like nature then only that can bear just like evil and destruction and madness essentially (laughs) yeah and that's often what folk tales and fairy tales often code nature the wild as darkness and evil and is to warn us of the danger that inhabits in the woods because often in folklore or um, fairy tales we have an individual who lives secluded in the woods and they're usually considered as evil or dangerous or mysterious in some way and if you interact with them they've tainted you in some way or you you know just can't stay forever in the wild because you will become wild yourself and like you know Kelly was saying but then we have like this relationship with nature where we're just like okay well we we want to be part of nature we want to involve be involved in it we want but we don't want to be influenced in the negative ways of it but then at the same time too we want nature to be the positive thing for us so we try to manufacture it in the way we want it to be with our you know our gardens Mm -hmm. and our backyards and our beautiful trees and shrubberies and we're like you know because we're manicuring that type of nature for us to be acceptable and that's Mm -hmm. good enough but like to go into the actual woods and stuff like that you know we're like oh we don't like that we don't want to be out there there's bugs and it's dangerous and things get hurt but then you don't know what's in the wild as well we want nature to act for us Mm not against us. And nature acts on its own, folks. Yes. Homo sapiens is the only species in Earth's long history to have been able to fundamentally alter geochemical cycles that regulate the planet in only a few decades. So we have to realize who's the hero and here who is the victim of these stories, really. We always talk about nature being so fragile, but we miss something important. 
Nature has agency. Nature acts on the planet on a scale that dwarfs most of everything that we know, our human processes. It's powerful. It impacts every person in our world. We are the ones that are small. We are the ones, humans, that are fragile. We are the ones that are at risk because as much as we want to think that we are the exact opposite, we are very fragile creatures and we are very close to collapsing our own civilization or, quote, civilizations. We're becoming victims of our own, quote, success. And what I really liked out of this, the research that we did about this and, and it plays so brilliantly in Apostle. Oh my God, right? Oh my God. That instead of looking at nature from a human perspective, understand that we are actually embedded into ecosystems that sustain us. Nature has agency. And it's such a powerful ability to recover itself, especially when we give it time to do the healing that it needs to do. Absolutely. Right? And we see that in this film Apostle. Like, I love how in Apostle it shows us these ideas of what happens when we we no longer fear nature. We try to control it and we try to subjugate it to our demands, our Ours. needs, yep. what we need. Well, we need this. We need these crops. We need to be able yep. to do this. The animals are not enough. Okay, we're just going to start. And we start force feeding nature with all these chemicals and impurities. And you're going to work for us. I don't work for you. You work for us you work for me (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna feed you you know the geochemically engineered food to make you bigger fatter you know and i'm I'm Mm -hmm. talking to like you know animals and stuff like that but animals are a part of a part of nature Mm -hmm. but we do that to our our land and our soil we put chemicals in our soil to make our our vegetables grow more rushed and developed right but we're at the same time too we're slowly poisoning the earth as we're doing this and that's Mm -hmm. so represented in this film because we literally see a manifestation of nature in the goddess in this image that Mm -hmm. uh, this individual that Thomas keeps seeing and she's literally trapped and forced to rely on the humans feeding her the blood even though she doesn't want it even though she knows this is bad for me this is not good and I want to die but you're giving it to me to sustain me because really you don't want it she doesn't you know nature doesn't want to die either but when she is given her release by thomas at the end we see that she can start healing from away from all that great points yeah so getting getting into that so what really spoke to me during this watch again when you're sitting down really paying attention to critically analyze and blah 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 doing smart things Um, (laughs) and then also sometimes just secondary watches just can really show you more about what the film's trying to say or it's not trying to say it, but it just is blatantly obvious to me. But mm-hmm. what was so interesting, and you, you started to touch on it, so let's get into it. But like, so she is our goddess, whatever she says goes, you know, you, the beginning of the movie, there's this like, lamb that was like falling and Thomas tries to bring it into the boat and the guy like literally whips it off of the boat she's like she essentially she says who lives or dies and who is worthy of life and I was like oh god but we're like we get into like one hour into the movie then we see mother nature which is what I'm going to call her the goddess of the island and there's this really intense and very memorable image like you said where she's covered in vines and branches she herself is surrounded by earth and nature though it looks a little dead it's 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 not thriving Mm -hmm. and these people are starving the goddess as punishment for her to not allowing the the crops to thrive it is her fault so here they are trying to claim dominion over the goddess of the land or mother earth they have entrapped her Mm -hmm. so feel her fucking wrath folks 
And I love that there are humans giving their own blood to Mother Nature to feed her. So essentially, we are killing ourselves and our own people in order to you know, feed our crops, have successful like animals and livestock in a thriving life that we also have to become victims of this quote nature. But this is not how it was before these people got here, right? They are the ones these men captured this woman they found in the forest to exploit. So they try to contain her, try to control her or nature and she harms them. Of course, they even said at one point that she is a machine. Yeah, they literally described her as a machine. They explained to her that they literally, not even explained to her, but like we see that they have enslaved her and thus tarnishing yeah. her land. They transformed Mother Nature into something monstrous. She is yes, the arcane mother, mother who is being force fed the blood and the flesh of man to keep the land prosperous, yes. but all against her will, all against her being and her existence as a being, right? Yeah. And we see that whole imagery we see how that all comes up when thomas has when she shows thomas the vision and then she asks for like and she's asking for her death like please you know almost like scorch this earth so i can rebuild it again like absolutely all this from my land and that's essentially what happens with nature now right when we constantly keep doing construction on different areas and stuff like that or we keep moving things around you know we keep setting different things up eventually nature is going to be like no this doesn't work here and it will destroy it and it will repair itself something new totally life finds a way sorry i had to say that but like nature figures it out it finds Mm. a way and i mean we can be really sad that how many hundreds or thousands of species go at extinct every single year but also how many are we still discovering and there's animals right now evolving that maybe in a thousand years will be completely different creatures and yes it's sad that there's animals that are going extinct because of human greed and quote dominion doing whatever the fuck we want in this on this planet earth more species are coming it's fine it sucks but like nature's gonna figure it out it all balances itself out without our interference and i and you're right that's a really great point at the at the end of the film once things have been burnt the humans are leaving thank god yes thank goddess <laughs> thanks satan thanks someone thanks everyone as they're leaving she's like yes i can breathe i can heal i can recover because that's what nature does mm. if we don't interfere and fuck it up or to make you know make a mess of things it'll figure itself out yeah and i love that about this what's also interesting that i think like bringing it back to the whole idea of like these cults of these communes and mm. why they go to these islands or go to these like go to live in nature and again if you watched other like jug face was another folk horror that i watched and that's a very very small tight-knit community that living in the middle of the wood so what i also find really interesting like coming back to the idea of these communes these secluded communities and why they want to re let maybe reject a certain religion or reject a certain way of life is a lot of people think that nature can teach us what it means to be human and maybe reflects their humanity back at us and they, they feel at home. A lot of those, quote, outdoorsy types that I am not, but, <laughs> you know, but I do find myself sitting down, like I joke and talk about how I'm going to live in an isolated community of my own in Norway because I'm tired <laughs> of all of this stuff, all of this. Yeah. I want a simpler life. Let's have a wood fire stove. And like, that's, that's what's going to be my life because I feel like we can only do this for so long. And maybe these, these, like these people have this desire to seek out nature as an aesthetic against a spiritual fulfillment. Mm-hmm. It's transformative. And that's why these people go to these really, really small, small secluded places to get away and to change themselves again communes 
positive, cults destructive, led by fear and control and power struggles and all of that. Yeah. But, you know, our Westerners love dichotomies. Them versus us. Subject, object. Human, non-human. Thing, person. You know, nature is a thing that is out there. It's not here, right? Like it's going back to that othering of nature. But nature is everywhere. Humans are not excluded from nature. We do not have dominion of it, which folks, these are actually very white centric ideals. And if you've noticed in a lot of folk horror, they're very white. They are very white. I notice that because let's maybe not because that's a very absolute thing to say, but maybe there's like a lot of indigenous cultures that don't have that kind of like us versus them. They don't. Subject, object, human, non-human, thing, person. It's everything is one nature isn't out there for them it's everywhere it's in everything indigenous cultures have a lot of respect for nature and when it comes to they have a relationship with mother earth and i know a lot about this because my ex-husband had a background with working Mm -hmm. with a lot of indigenous individuals in his work and they just have so much reverence for earth and you don't do anything without asking first and you have a relationship and there's like a balance and yes folk horror films are very white centric because it is heavily coming from our british perspective but it's heavily yeah. very western and very colonial perspective as well it's still Absolutely. that very heavy aspect of the colonialism coming into these films and because the, yes these are isolated communities in these um in these woods and stuff like that but they're also still representative of early colonialism of like oh we no longer wanted to be part of england because it's so hard for us now we're here now we're yeah. going to go over to north america and we're going to start building a community here and life is going to get better for us here oh but nature's terrifying because we don't understand these woods we don't understand these cultures we don't understand these people yeah. these traditions we need to find a way to dominate them and so that you can get a whole thing looking at colonialism and folk horror and how that's really prevalent absolutely but i wanted to kind of steer back a little bit to um, this idea of nature as a force and I think it's really interesting how in we see in Apostle how the domination of nature is really important to be able to control it to have this community have what they need but in the wicker man the commune is nature is feared but revered like it is like it is respected it is explained that nature is a very important element of the community and that they still need to they have their respect that we have a relationship with it our fertile women dance among the orchards you know all these Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. but if the crops fail again that means that the goddess and goddess are mad at us and we've done something wrong and so we we and that's where that fear of nature comes into play they Mm -hmm. created their sacrifice because they were afraid that they did something wrong and that's why their crops aren't doing better because they need now to appease the gods and that's happened in a lot of like myths and and legends and stuff like that if if something happened in a natural setting there was some kind of natural disaster it usually meant that a god was displeased with what the humans were doing and so we need to fix that Yep, absolutely. And now we've arrived at Spencer's final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're spinsters, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or with a good book. Absolutely. With a mug of delicious hot tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more, but what stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky and metal-inspired names. With Screamsicle and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in... I am obsessed with tiramisu. And I'm currently obsessed with Banana Bell. 
So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian fans, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. My final thoughts. I have learned a hell of a lot this month when it comes to folk horror. It's a subgenre that I had seen a decent amount of movies in, like I said, and I watched even more this month to round out my experience with it. Again, Shout out to Caliber because that movie just chef's kiss to intensity and brutality and intrigue with human experience. Love it. Highly recommend it. It's a fascinating and unique genre of horror and has been so refreshing to spend so much time in nature without actually stepping foot into it. So we kind of touched on this at some point uh, earlier in the episode, but, you know, kind of the, the horror of folk horror either can be coming from a human or supernatural element. I'm definitely more drawn to the human-based horror side of things and the supernatural, but I like to dabble. But the horror and folk horror often surrounds the idea of what is normal and what is deemed monstrous. And based on the research we read, this really just stood out to me and is very impactful. So the idea that what is normal, what is monstrous, there is this doubling of othering, then a doubled source sense of normality in all, all almost every single folk horror film that you will watch, especially these two films that we watched for the episode, The Wicker Man and Apostle. We have characters that are figures of, quote, normalcy, Thomas, Sergeant Howie, um, the three men that founded uh, Erisdan, Summer, you know, um, Lord Summer Isle, in their own perspectives, they are considered normal, but they are deeply flawed and not inherently, quote, normal people. Our antagonists aren't complete monsters either. It's just like this battle between good and evil, outsider and the common moral good. Our, quote, good people are the outsiders from these communities. Everyone is normal, yet also monstrous, based on whose perspective you're taking. It's ambiguous, and that's what's so fascinating. This is one of the strongest traits of folk horror that I am so in love with and intrigued by. At the root pun intended, of folk horror lies human beings, their stories and emotions. It's full of humanity, the good and bad side of it. Folk horror is inherently natural and touches on deep emotional levels. It makes us confront our humanity or lack thereof. Protagonist Dan Stevens, an apostle, he says in the film, the promise of the divine is an illusion. Nothing in this life is pure except for Jennifer my sister. I agree with the first part. So my final thoughts. I get a great deal of enjoyment out of watching folk horror films, which is evidenced by the fact that throughout my last three years of watching horror films, it seems to be the genre that I go to the most and get uh, excited about when a new film comes out. Like, So I am super excited for Ben Wheatley's uh, new folk horror film that's come out, In the Earth, and I can't wait to see how that will will come across because will, the, will there be a new third wave of folk horror that comes out because we've lived a year in isolation. We have not been out in nature as up, and people have talked about this idea of nature starting to recover from the fact of the lack of the human involvement and in all the stuff that we usually do in nature to fuck things up all the time. I'm curious to see how that's going to come around, but I love how folk horror at times for me can be so straightforward in what it's trying to say, but it's also so open to interpretation and that everything I see in these films have always have a deeper context and often you have to find different clues to see how it's going to end and the ending can be different 
meanings for different people for different experiences and contexts. Like I know when people think of the Wicker Man, they think, yay, you know, screw right conservatism and Christians coming in and telling us pagans what to do. But then also, wait, why are you guys sacrificing another human individual for your crops? That doesn't make any sense. Are you just as bad as them? And like Kelly said, it's it's complexities between humans and then our complex relationship with nature, our complex relationship with our past, our past that is often full of myths and legends and folklore and this is one of the ring another reason why i love the folk horror genre is they're kind of like adult fairy tales to me i grew up on the brothers Grimm fairy tales and they are my favorite in comparison to the disney fairy tales why because they are dark and they are grim and they have a moral lesson embedded in them that's often between our relationship with nature and our relationship with each other so i loved this month i've been i was i love doing the readings that we've gone have done reading adam schofield's work don keatley's work and just really absorbing these trends that we're seeing folk horror films and i just turned to them and like especially you too when i watched my film for the month eden lake and kelly was like oh this is a very unconventional folk horror film but then when i watch it i'm like no no I can see it. I can see it all here. Like there's the elements and I really enjoy that aspect of it because also like, you know, camping in the woods is terrifying, <laughs> you know, as aspect also to the film ritual. Like I had a lot of fun this month talking about uh, folk horror, rewatching these films, enjoying the conversations that people have been having on our social media and all the films that more people have recommended. There's a couple of Japanese folk horror films that I can't wait to check out. But at the end of the day, I think it's a great genre that has a lot to say, most particularly not only just our relationships between each other as, as individuals, but our relationships with the land and our earth. With that, that ends our episode on exploring folk horror. We want to thank Dance with the Dead for our intro and outro music, Robeast, and for Brandon for his work on our promotional materials, and also to all you listeners, and we want to remind you to follow us on our website at spinstersofhorror.com, our Facebook group, Spinsters of Horror. Also, join our coven, our Spinsters of Horror coven over on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Horror Spinsters. We're on Instagram at Spinsters of Horror. As well, please rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and any podcasting app you listen to us on. That helps get the show out to more people. Folks, we have merch, so please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop. We also have a donate button on our website, so please, if you like what we do, send us a couple bucks. So, folks, grab your rainbow flags because June is Pride Month! Yeah, Pride! (laughs) We will be celebrating Pride Month, and to do this, we will be discussing severely underrated film Bit from 2019, along with sharing our interview with Bit writer and director Brad Michael Elmore. But until then, remember, the future of fear is female. 